What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Keith and Mike Watch Deep Space Nine. Today, we are going to discuss season one, episode 15, If Wishes Were Horses. How's it going, Mike? <laughs> no, I was going to make a nay horse joke, and I instantly decided, bad idea. Nay. <laughs> nay. It's good, Keith. <laughs> I'm so excited to talk with you. You know, last week, it dawned on me that I like watching it like the night before or right before we do it because it, it keeps me a little more fresh. Mm-hmm. Though it does, I am in the enviable position right now because I'm still formulating my thoughts on it. I can't tell whether it didn't give me enough information or if I just wasn't paying close enough attention or if I'm dumb. Those three possibilities all exist. And guess what? Don't need to be mutually exclusive. So I was going to say, I mean, like, I feel we could be three for three on that. I am here with the, my resident expert and good friend. And I think that we can probably puzzle it out together, Keith. I think I think that we can. I think we can puzzle what there is to be puzzled. But I'm excited to talk about this episode. Uh, I, when I first was prepping for season one, I looked down the list. I'm like, ooh, that one's going to be a fun one to talk about. So uh, here we are. It's our moment. And uh, before we do, we just want to, uh, you know, we're going to do a little uh, little commercial. We're going to we're going to beg for your money and your likes and your subscribes and all of the usual stuff uh, to help support our little show here. So if you're watching on YouTube, uh, give us a like, give us a subscribe. Make sure you hit that notification bell so you can find out the instant another one of these uh, reviews comes up topically 25 years too late, 30 years too late. Uh, but it really helps us grow the show. Uh, it helps support it. If you're listening to this on the audio-only podcast, mm. you know what? You can still like and subscribe on YouTube. You don't have to look at us. I wouldn't want to. No. But uh, you can you can do that just to help out the show. Uh, Mike, what else could people do to help out the show? Keith, there's a big one. There is a big one. And it is called mm. uh, joining our Patreon. You can go over to patreon.com slash K and am. Just am? Just like the good folks you see on your screen. Brian Kaufman. Casey Clark, Cloud Lover 69, Jorge Novoa, the mysterious Anne, who just wrote in, uh, as you could she do sure if you did. were a Patreon, and talk to us, slide into our DMs. Alan Zimmerman, you're welcome to do so. CRM Productions and Charles Charles Babbage, we thank our patrons, and we hope that you join them. Indeed, and you get bonus content yep. that you get to help create, because uh, we were talking to, to Anne about the, uh, uh, in our AMA, video we do every month. We were talking about what other shops and stores and businesses are on the promenade in Deep Space Nine. And uh, we had some ideas and she had some ideas and uh, it became a very interesting discussion. So uh, hop on to the Patreon, uh, sign up, ask us questions, and then we'll have a conversation with you. It's really uh, it's really fun. There are bonus episodes and you can watch Mike watch Deep Space Nine. That's patreon.com slash uh, K and M. Please join the team it's oddly entertaining oh you didn't tell me we're gonna beam there's a there's a sound cue that's late all right well you know what's uh, you know it's not late uh i actually you know what i started that transition and then yeah. i didn't have a way to, to to get out of it so sometimes you just have to bail so uh this episode if wishes were horses if wishes were horses i'd get to do that transition again but you know what we record these live, so that's just what happens. So, If Wishes Were Horses aired on Sunday, May 16th, 1993. 
our top song was, wait for it, everybody. Just <clears throat> Have you warmed up, Mike, for your excellent <clears throat> singing? <clears throat> yes, yes, please. We were listening to That's the Way Love Goes by Janet Jackson. Um, Because that's the way love goes. No, that's Celine Dion. Uh, that's a few years away. Uh, that's mm-hmm. just the way love goes. If you like baseball and hologram stuff, and if Rumpelstiltskin fell into free use because the copyright fell out, you could make a show about that. Yeah. Mm. That's the way love mm. goes. Oh, not my finest. Ooh. But hey, we do it live. <laughs> Sometimes that's just the way it goes. Maybe <laughs> that's the, that might be the theme of this episode. Yeah. Uh, thank you very much. The top movie, we were listening to that amazing hit Mike just sang, On Our Way to Go See Dave. Oh, uh, I is, love Dave. Who doesn't love Dave? Oh, Kevin Klein. Who doesn't love that movie? Mm, uh, in kiss. fact, it, it came in so under the radar and people loved it that it uh, it became the number one movie in its second week of release. Uh, because uh, I believe, I would imagine, word of mouth, really good. Kevin Klein. That's so, one of those uh, movies, uh, much like a lot of Star Trek episodes, when you are flipping through and you weren't planning on watching it, but then it, you come across mm. it and you say, hey, you know what? I'm going to watch this. In fact, TBS used to run it basically nonstop, but then it sort of got bumped for the Shawshank Redemption. So, Well, yeah, that's right. Well, it's because Dave, uh, we Turner purchased. They, they owned the movie Shawshank, so they could play it as many times mm-hmm. as they wanted. Fair. Uh, anyway, Dave, great movie. Sigourney so Weaver. So good. All right. The New York Times headline was a dozen killings tied to Columbia in Queens. So mm. possibly back in our old stomping grounds, things were not going well uh, in Queens. It, it, you know, the headlines are always such a downer. After we like we do the movie, we do the song, and then like the headlines make, well, make you sad. That's often the case, isn't it? Uh, so true. All right. Well, then let's just get into this episode yeah. specifically and talk about uh, who directed it. This was directed by Robert Legato. This was his only Deep Space Nine episode. He also directed Menage a Troy and The Nth Degree for uh, The Next Generation. Oh, yeah, Mike, you got to watch. Ooh. You know, perhaps after next week would be an appropriate time to watch Menage okay. a Troy. Well, this week it gets uh, a little, there's some some saucy bits, too. So maybe he's uh, called yeah. in for the saucy episodes. Yeah, well, perhaps, perhaps. Uh, the other interesting thing about Robert Legato, did you know that dude has three Oscars? Oh, really? He has three Oscars as a visual effects superstar. Uh, he did visual effects on Apollo 13 and Titanic, hmm. among many, many other things. Well, he's got uh, a so long he- and fluid career, Keith, unlike his brother, uh, Bobby Staccato, whose career has been more choppy and uh, interspersed. Just, just short. Yeah, yeah. That's a uh, that's a deep cut, deep music theory cut for those at home. But I, uh, not I'm that here deep. for it. To be honest, not that deep. Well, you know, I would go to Robert Rubato, but I'm here. I am that does. <laughs> or perhaps Robert Vibrato. Or how about Freddie Forte? <laughs> let's let's stop. <laughs> oh my god we're, what a mess we're, okay well let's let's exit the magic school bus and uh, <laughs> okay and talk about who wrote this episode yes this i'm curious about this episode has a teleplay and story by nell mccoo 
Crawford and William Crawford. Hmm. Uh, and this is uh, both of their only IMDb credits, period. Um, and uh, with a assistance on the teleplay by producer Michael, Michael Piller. Uh, so interesting. I, I, it, in Star Trek, you know, uh, frequently the, the, the last show to take pitches, take unsolicited scripts and pitches. So um, chances are they had this idea. They pitched it to the show and they adapted the idea. And that's why they got the writing credit. But I don't know that for sure. So uh, you know what else I don't know for sure? Whether or not we should be doing our next segment, but we're going to do it anyway. It's Trivial Trivia! Now Keith, waste your time with Trivial Trivia. All right, I have some fun trivia today, starting with uh, Kalamini. Finally has some juice. Yep. Because he uh, saved us from having a leprechaun instead of Stiltskin. Oh, okay. Because uh, on The Next Generation, there's this horrible episode called Up the Long Ladder with a whole bunch of terrible Irish stereotypes. Uh, and uh, he, didn't have, he didn't have the juice to, uh, to bail on that. But he did now and was able to say, hey, you know what? Maybe, maybe not so much with the horrible Irish stereotypes. And uh, I think we're better off for it. I think so. I think that the, uh, if we're probably referring to the Rumpelstiltskin character, yeah. Mm-hmm. I thought that that was a pretty, uh, that was a pretty good performance by that actor. It didn't it seem fun. too offensive. I mean, other than like the costuming and the like. Well, but it's Rumpelstiltskin. Yeah, right? the it's tropiness is the tropiness. On, yeah. Like, a, you know, an, an ethnicity or a, or a country or anything like that. It's a, it's a fictional character. So it's far less offensive. All right. Uh, the next piece of trivia is. Mike, you don't know how important this is. I don't. Yet. But this is the origin story of Cisco's baseball. Cisco's baseball is uh, is one of the iconic pieces of uh, Deep Space Nine. It's an iconic prop. It's going to show up more. It's going to be part of, uh, part of the, uh, the, the Deep Space Nine story. And if you want to know how we got it, this episode is the answer. Yeah, I like that we the, uh, leaned into baseball because we've talked about it quite a bit, and then we get a little more uh, context this week. Yeah, we sure do. In fact, this answers some of the questions we had uh, last time uh, Buck Bakai was brought up. So, I've been wondering, my big question has always been, you know, in the Star Trek universe, how tight were the baseball uniforms? And we find out this week. They're real tight. Real, real tight. Real tight. Real tight. And, uh, you know, it got more of a Babe Ruth stature. Mm-hmm. Uh, Athleticism than, uh, not as important as it was, you know, in the very short period between well, 1990 and 2020. Know. We don't know that he wasn't athletic. We just know that he's shaped like me. That's all. Yeah, and you so, are quite athletic, so. I See, right? You know, mm-hmm. I, I, I'm, I'm an athlete for a huskier fellow. All right, so uh, the uh, the emu was not good at taking direction. There's oh. many emu shots in this episode. So its trainer was there dressed as a Bajoran monk. Oh. Which is, yeah, smart, right? Yeah. You have to integrate the trainer in. Mm-hmm. And uh, the last piece of trivial trivia, which uh, is... So you're saying he was moody. He was like an emo emu? Emo, buddy. Mm. <laughs> so this this last one I think might be a 
maybe on patreon.com slash KNM, you know, we're, we're due a bonus episode. Yeah. Uh, and this might be hard to do all at once. Maybe we can do it in pieces. But uh, Max Grodenchik, who plays Rom, would later play Rumpelstiltskin in the 1995 horror film Rumpelstiltskin. Ooh. Yeah. Rumpel yeah. kills Stan. Would you like to pay for these puns? Puns? <laughs> puns is probably being quite liberal. Uh, oh, wow. You yeah, can do no, so that... at patreon.com slash KM. I'm not kidding. Yeah, yeah. That people are going to throw their computers <laughs> in the lake. <laughs> so, our guest stars this week include Keone Young as Buck Bakai, uh, who also plays Hoshi's father on Enterprise. And I was shocked to discover he also uh, is. Is the uh, uh, Mr. I forgot who on Deadwood much, he's, much later? His IMDb must be huge because you recognize him from a lot of things. He's done a ton. Um, but I was so excited to find out that he was Mr. Wu on uh, on Deadwood. Crazy. Uh, Michael J. Anderson plays Rumpel Stiltskin, and Hannah Hate plays Molly O'Brien. So I think it is now time to talk about the episode. What do you say, Mike? I think it's only right that we do that, Keith. But before we do, of course... Uh Uh-huh, you're going to sing about it. Yeah, yeah, it gets better every week. Yeah, I really, I look forward to it. In fact, every time I'm doing the recording of watching the actual episode, I I sing along because it's just like my habit, but I recognize mm-hmm. that it's never going to be really as good as, as that 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 gem. Well, you know, it's, it's really best isolated and out of context. <laughs> as is most <laughs> of everything we create. That is 100% true. All right, so if wishes were horses, here in the teaser... Quark and Odo spar on a quiet day in the bar. Quark has no time for fantasies. Quark offers, or Odo has no time for fantasies. Quark offers to make him a shapeshifter hologram uh, to intermingle with, which, uh, I don't know, sounds fun to me, but mm-hmm. Odo's like, nah. But uh, so obviously we're uh, we're just we're, we're laying some groundwork, maybe that there's a theme going on here in this episode. Yeah, you know... <sighs> We've joked about it before that, like in this, that in the teaser, they like they lay out every puzzle piece. They leave nothing, even here. Like, do we need to know that he created Jake a baseball thing? Like, we don't. You could just kind of like loosely tease wishes and and holodeck themes, but no, no, we're we're just we got to put it all out there. Yeah, well, I, I think part of it is at this point um, they didn't assume that the audience had seen the previous episodes. Mm-hmm. You know, it was it, it, the first couple seasons of Deep Space Nine are very epi- are episodic as opposed to serialized. It becomes super serialized. And but they're like, if you haven't seen it, screw you. But, maybe I'm wrong. Like, maybe this is the end of the teaser and we don't have to show the other two plot lines. Uh, no, I think you're wrong. Because oh. Jake walks by with a baseball bat on his way to play in the Hollow Suite. Apparently, mm-hmm. Quark knows a lot about baseball. Uh, we learned that Odo has no sense of smell. Oh, that's yeah, an that's, interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which is 
an odd, I mean, it, it makes sense because he has no nose or nasal passages or anything like that. But it is, I think, as an investigator and as somebody sort of in this world, not having a sense of smell would affect things. Well, also, you kind of, you can extrapolate from that, that regardless of the physical form he takes, he doesn't necessarily take on all of those characteristics of that being, right? Well, that's a really good question because it's certainly implied later that he does. But he doesn't, but this form doesn't have like bodily functions or and can't smell and taste, doesn't eat. Um, Yeah, that's a, that is an interesting little inconsistency there because, because he's, we find out later that he's capable of like literally becoming physiologically these other things. And obviously he struggles to, create his human form. Um, I don't know. Weird. Mm. Uh, the only thing we can say for so, certain is that he's never going to write into uh, Mike and Keith at uh, patreon.com slash KNM and say, this stinks. <laughs> he might. He might. So uh, Quark has a plan to build a family entertainment center uh, with his hollow suites. So basically a mini Disney next to his sex rooms. Which, I don't know, but I, why wouldn't you? As long as they keep uh, it as clean the, as Disney, then uh, that's cool. Yeah, well, fair enough. Meanwhile, uh, Bashir has not stopped obsessing about Dax. He keeps hitting on her, and she keeps shutting him down. But apparently, uh, Bashir is getting it on with a lot of other folks. Well, he's making eyes at a lot of other folks, is what's implied. I, I don't know. I, I, I implied... I took the implication that they were canoodling, but maybe that maybe I'm just hopeful for our young doctor. Uh, but in this scene, Dax officially friend zones him. Oh, she friend zones him hard. Yeah, yeah. Uh, then Dax heads up to Ops. Kira and Cisco have noticed a technobabble anomaly from the Denorius belt. And, uh, you know, we don't know what that's about yet, but they have to lay the groundwork. Mm-hmm. Uh, get ready. Uh, if, go- if you are not into techno babble, suit up because oh, I can't. It's can't everywhere. Wait yeah. for uh, Mike's vocab quiz. Mm. Uh, so in so we head off to O'Brien's quarters, and the chief is reading Rumpelstiltskin to Molly. It's cute, and Keiko is there. Yeah, it uh, definitely is in fair use because he's reading. He reads that whole last chapter. Yeah. Oh, he certainly does. I, I think. It, I mean, I'm sure it must be in uh, out of copyright now. Uh, so O'Brien and Keiko, a- after they finish, they headed off to uh, go get it on. Canoodle of then, their own, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. And then, uh, oh, she comes out and says, hey, Rumpelstiltskin's here. Could, could she be more adorable? Uh. <laughs> oh, but he is. He is. And he's chilling in Molly's bedroom. Nothing creepy there, but, no. uh, certainly a surprise. So I, I. Haven't watched you watch this, but I'd love to know your reaction when Rumpelstiltskin shows up. I, uh, he's given me like hard Dumbledore vibes. Ooh, there is a bit of Dumbledore yeah, there. He's like, he's a lot of Dumbledore. It's, uh, yeah. So th- there's O'Brien's there's a reaction. It was kind of mine. I was like, uh, what? But what? What? But, uh, you know, that's a good teaser, though. But then Rumpelstiltskin just starts throwing his shit everywhere, which I found interesting. Well, that's an act one. Yeah, so, which is weird. Oh, you're right. Yeah, yeah, so that's the end of the teaser. So act one begins. O'Brien sends Molly and Keiko out and calls security, naturally. 
Rumpelstiltskin starts searching their quarters for straw. Then uh, the security guards arrive, and one of them looks a lot like Ray's from the Underworld series. Uh, because it is. Hey. It's Kevin does he uh, get a line, Keith? Gavru. He does not get a line. Uh, uh, but uh, that character was very memorable. From, I, the Underworld series, I was always like a, it's been like a guilty pleasure of mine. No. You, you haven't seen it? No. Oh, buddy. Hey, Keith, uh, if only Rubble Stiltskin could appear in one of these guys' Underworlds. Bloop. Bloop. He sure does. And uh, yeah, he proves he can do magic by disappearing and reappearing. Mm-hmm. But it's a it's a very effective VFX yeah, shot it's not bad. there. Yeah, um, he's able to disappear in front of them and then appear behind them without what what seems like without a break in the shot. Obviously, the camera pans down, locks. He goes around to start the camera up again. Yeah, but you know, interesting. The direction. Uh, shout out the director one more time. The director of this movie is Robert Legato, of course. Oh, yes. Well, the Legato uh, maestro definitely had his work cut out for him because he definitely had some budgetary restraints that were opposed because they uh, they didn't do a lot of VFX. We have the Rumpelstiltskin Magicking, and then we also have the, the Double Daxed Magics, so mm-hmm. but that they choose to do a lot of camera work instead of having them share the screen. So there's a lot of like yeah. camera panning and then resetting the actors without cutting. It's It's cool. Well, and, and what they're well, doing well here, done. like it's it's not even a VFX, right? It's just a cut, but it's it's a it's a special effect done very very yeah. seamlessly, uh, without having to do anything. So I I, I like it. It's, mm-hmm. it's very clever. So uh, O'Brien calls Cisco for help, who apparently chills in his off time in full uniform. Mm-hmm. But before he can leave, Jake arrives. With baseball legend Buck Bukai, who hey. followed him home from the Hollow Suites. So uh, that's you're not supposed to be able to do that, Mike. No, you're not supposed to be able to leave. Uh, but I, I wasn't shocked here, Keith. Wasn't shocked. In fact, I said to myself, well, what else have people been dreaming about? In fact, Ooh. surprisingly, uh, Ben in this episode, I dig because at no time does Ben get too hype. He keeps himself. He nothing really shocks him in this episode. He's he's pretty chill. He's, he's a pretty cool chill. character. Yeah, well, you know, this. Uh, yeah, well, it's Star Trek, so weird stuff happens like every Sunday. Yeah, dude. so yeah. people tend to be pretty chill. So uh, then we show up at Bashir's quarters where he's having a sex dream in full uniform and with no blankets. And uh, <laughs> I Dax- didn't even think about that. <laughs> You know what he had a late night? He was working on some stuff, so he just like kind of mm-hmm. passed out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then magically, Dax shows up and she is all thirsty for him. Uh, he immediately starts checking her for viruses because that makes no sense. But uh then they're called to Ops, and Bashir thinks he's being pranked. They arrive at Ops, which you know, honestly, but before we get too far into it, like I think his Checking to make sure that everything was going okay with her mm-hmm. before they they done do it, I think is speaks to a level of uh, I don't know uh, respect and uh, like it's it's it it is it is it, I think it speaks well of the character 
because obviously we're, there's sort of a consent issue. You want to know, like, why is this happening out of character? Yeah, but then and she's the, like, why are you fighting this? And he's like, yeah, why am I fighting this? And then he decides to acquiesce, yeah. which I think is totally fair. But then they get called and he realizes, oh, I'm being pranked. So he's a little pissed. Yeah. yeah. Uh, when they arrive at Ops, uh, all the weirdos are there. So uh, Cisco asks Horny Dax about the Thrawn emissions and she only knows about emissions that are more nocturnal. Nailed, nailed then, it. Uh, yeah, nailed it. Then, uh-oh, the real Dax shows up. And that is the end of Act 1. In Act 2, they begin investigating and rule out the uh, folks here being holograms, which should be obvious since there are no hollow emitters in ops or anywhere else other than the hollow suites on the station. And uh, meanwhile, Horny Dax is pawing all over Bashir. And we realize that all of these folks have arrived out of people's imaginations. Uh, and uh, now, yeah, Dax, it's is, Dax, I mean, Bashir's getting like molested well, nicely. Let's, or maybe molested is not the word. He's getting uh, petted. <laughs> heavy petting. Heavy petting. Yeah. And then, I wouldn't say and no, a, not heavy petting, light petting. Light, yeah, some over the clothes stuff, you know. TV petting, yeah, TV petting, <laughs> PG PG TV petting. And then mm-hmm. O'Brien's like, "God damn it!" <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, boy, yeah. you just definitely got the short end of that stick yeah. for sure. Yeah. Oh yikes! Uh, Real so, Dax uh, ain't got no time to, for this nonsense. No, Real Dax is like, screw that. Uh, when Bashir brushes off Horny Dax, she disappears abruptly, which is which is interesting. Mm. Uh, then Odo calls, and uh, look out, it is snowing on the promenade. So we uh, we find out that across the entire station, when folks imagine things, they become real. Mm. So uh, snow on the promenade, that was a fun effect. Yeah, that's cool. Doesn't last long. You only get one shot of it real quick. Yeah, well, you know, you only have you only have three buckets, mm-hmm. and and you're definitely not going to vacuum that up and do it again. Come on. Uh, so they techno babble and say there's some sort of a subspace disruption, uh, as seen here and, by the 1992 video game Pong. Pog. Yes. Well, I don't know how you uh, represent a subspace disruption on uh, on video. So, as good as anything, you're else. watching it right now. Yeah. So then we get a fun scene of Odo dancing with an emu. So, uh, oh yes, and so O'Brien uh, they discuss, yeah, they, they discuss. That's the uh, the techno babble stuff. So after there's Odo dancing with an emu, uh, which he called I forget what he called it, but it was definitely not an emu. But uh, we get a. I think actually in that shot's great because you get a sense of the scale of the set. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, the ceilings there have got to be 30, 35 feet high on this set. It's cool. I like it. Uh, So in Quarks, they discover that everybody is winning. Mm. And Odo makes an announcement to tell folks to stop using their imaginations, which is an an odd announcement. But he's like, okay. Uh, He does, however, make all the... Oh, in the announcement, he makes... uh, the announcement to ladies, gentlemen, and all androgynous creatures. 
Uh, which is an interesting nod, but probably not what they meant, because androgynous pertains to appearance, in, as opposed to uh, you know someone's gender or sex. So, I think what they probably should have used is non-binary or asexual, as opposed to androgynous. Well, they are um, definitely, uh, in my view, and I just watched it a few minutes ago. It, it, right before he says that, there is a subtle cross by our boy. Um, the dude who doesn't talk ever. Morn. Morn walks by, and Odo follows his gaze, and then makes that ad- a- addendum to the con- to his comment. So I, I I imagined it was like a, a joke, a, a Morn joke. I it's possible, although I I I think because because we've seen flavors of this already, you know, layered into the episode that they are trying to speak to to sex and gender not being quite so binary. Um, but yeah. they just, I think they just, I think they just used the wrong word. No, okay. I think I did. I, I, I think did think be, it was in reference to him, which I thought was a joke because he's clearly like, they were talking about how much of a ladies man he was. So I, I, I don't know. Yeah. Well, I guess you take out of it what you get. So there you go. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I, I'm, I'm giving him the benefit of the doubt here and that's, that's what I'm going to do. That's cool. So, uh, then immediately after that, Quark show arrives with mostly naked ladies that he imagined. It's gratuitous, but at least honest about what yeah. folks would do with their powers. Totally. Yeah, because you know, I. But I it should be interesting why. that that d- despite, and this is actually great for for Quark, is that despite clearly being distracted, once it is alerted to him that everybody in his casino is winning now because they're wishing it so, he he quickly dismisses his lady friends and gets back to uh, being upset about the goings on. Well, you know, he knows what's number one. Priorities that, uh, are gold clear. Pressed latinum. Yes, indeed. So you're right. He realizes it's getting cleaned out. So uh, back in the science lab, Dax and Bashir realize that the subspace hole is being increased by being close to the wormhole. They have an awkward. Okay. Yes. Then they have an awkward. It's it's interesting here because like the the specifics of what's going on with that don't actually matter that much, and it's all about the character dynamics. So. Uh, Dax had that real Dax and Bashir have an awkward conversation about his fantasy Dax. Uh, and Dax is super understanding and says they kind of invaded his privacy because he couldn't get to keep his private thoughts private. But then she does sort of like, I don't know if she's ribbing him, but she is curious about whether she's other Dax is submissive and if that's what he's actually fantasizing about. And then she comes in and they sort of have like a, uh, a very David E. Kelly female dispute with one another. Uh, well, I, I actually think it was... It's kind of cute, but... Well, I, I, I thought it was better than that because it's a commentary on what, you know, the, the type of me- woman that men fantasize about. And, and like, uh, clearly Bashir does want a submissive dum-dum who, who just wants to get it on. And and I understand why Dax would be like, yeah, okay, look. And she she even says like, I, I used to be a young man too, so like it's not like I don't get it, but like yeah, but okay. So I'm gonna put a want. pin in this so we can continue the conversation later because at this point in the episode, I still think that these are the holograms who have somehow manifested, right? So oh, this conversation okay. where 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 hologram Dax refers to. Other Dax, real Dax, as a, a dead fit or a 
like a, a fish with something a spicy. Dead fish. Yeah, something yeah, a spicy like, fish, cold fish, some something like that. Equivalent of a dead. Yeah. And then in a uh, scene coming up where baseball, what Mike thinks is hologram baseball, discusses. Well, we'll get to it when we get to it. But uh, remind me to, com- to converse about uh, if, if the the, conf- the conflation of some of these comments in this scene and then the next uh, baseball player and Ben scene. The color of if this ends up being, let's say, not holograms, if these end up being sentient beings per se, what I start to get confused on the machinations of how they know some of this stuff. Well, for sure, for so, sure. So I'm I mean, just putting I, a pin I, in I think it. The, putting a pin yeah, in. Yeah, right yeah, now. yeah. It, yeah, that I, I think that is the biggest question. Uh, the the biggest wormhole in the plot. We'll talk about later. Yep. Um, but I think given the context that we just accept that they can read the minds of the person that they're manifesting the fantasy of. That troubles me because we're, we're only like not even through the first season here. And we've had quite a bit of like omnipotent type other species. People who just like read uh, everybody's mind and know everything. That's uh, Star Trek. It, it, I realized that I, I went back and watched some of the original series lately and like every third episode was that mm. this is like <clears throat> way less of that than there used to be back in the day um but uh anyway so uh yes horny dax is not helping things um and then well, well summarized <laughs> they discover that in another place where this type of subspace rupture happened the entire system was destroyed so now we have a ticking clock and pretty significant doom happening because if you realize like to take out an entire system, that's an entire solar system that gets wiped out by this subspace uh, rupture. So that's not good. But we begin act three. Uh, they send a probe into subspace and O'Brien chats with Stiltskin, who keeps offering to help. Uh, Rumpel starts to play relatively threatening mind games with O'Brien. I just, I don't know that I've ever heard anyone just, like, nickname him Rumble, But that's awesome. <laughs> well, look, you know, I have to type these notes as quickly as yeah, I can. Rump. So everybody gets a nickname. Yeah, Rump. So, uh, Brian's like, I'm pro- trying to, like, work. If you could stop rumpling. Could you stop, like, threatening to steal my child? That would be, uh, that would be ideal. Uh, so the probe starts showing scary data. The rupture is sucking in everything from the surrounding surrounding space. So that's not good. Mm, as you can so, clearly uh, is shown here. Yeah. Clearly shown there. Uh, so we go to the promenade and Buck Bakai invites Cisco to play some baseball. Uh, he begins, then he begins to question, hey, what happens to me if I don't wink back out of existence? Which is kind of interesting, right? Um, you know, if you take it at face value, like what does happen to a a, a baseball star from 300 years ago who uh, gets winked into existence? Uh, but we get more backstory about the demise of baseball, that it shut down during Bokai's career because people didn't have time. That's what that said. And uh, that he won the World Series in front of 300 fans. So we were guessing and i think some in the in the some of the comments people were were also talking about what caused baseball to shut down 
And there was, we were wondering, like, was it World War Three? Was it something like that? But it's just people didn't have the time. And uh, I don't know. It's like I was, it, it's oddly sad. Very sad. <clears throat> like but- to, like to, to imagine this happening. Unfortunately, I couldn't really focus on that, Keith, because all I could think about, because once again, anybody mm-hmm. who joins Patreon and watches along with me at patreon.com slash KNM would know that I was still under the impression that these were the holograms that somehow had been made sentient. And so mm. where my mind was blown here, and what I was really trying to puzzle through, because it's actually kind of interesting, in the dialogue, he says there were th- only 300 people Buck says there was only 300 people at the World Series. And then Ben says, in my version, so I guess in his program, there's 301. So he puts himself there to watch and cheer. Right. And Buck says, I know, I heard you. So then I'm like, wait, the holograms? Because clearly before he says that he has all the memories of Buck. And I was like, that makes sense that the program would have all of the pre-memories of the Mm -hmm. the people. But why would he have, why would he have, how how would he have heard Ben? Because he doesn't exist in the in the in the present of the hologram, he exists in the. Me- I was like trying to figure out the really piece well, the, it all together. I mean, there's sort of two answers to that. One, if it were the hologram, right? If if this were uh, holodeck Buck Bakai, it's certainly possible to program your holodeck characters to remember and see what's happening when you're running the program. Because, you know, we know for sure that, like, Buck has a rela- the, the holographic Buck has a relationship with Jake. Mm, and right. they've been working together and that kind of stuff. And so when you, after you, you know, you go out and play baseball, you save as. So the character remembers having done that with you. Um, and in the case of, as it turns out, there are these aliens. It would make perfect sense that he's reading... This is right. all coming out of Cisco's mind, so he would know that Cisco went and watched. So Buck, so hologram Buck has a relationship yeah. with Jake where they're playing baseball, mm-hmm. and yet is unaware that he is not a a, a real person. You think he would? Well, I guess all of that is moot. What I'm getting at is all of that is moot because of the resolution of the episode, right? Well, and the and the holograms can. It, it, it all comes down to how you program them, right? Mm. You can program them to think that they're real people, and that's the that's sort of the immersive world. But you can totally program a self-aware hologram. That like, hey, I know I'm a hologram. This is my deal. And we're flirting. We're flirting with disaster. Then we're pro- they're making them way too smart, Keith. The AI's mm, Turing test, baby. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, uh, buckle up, buddy. Mm-hmm. Buckle up, because we might get into some of that. So. Uh, Anyway, I I wrote down it, Keone Young is a great actor. He's great. Yes. Like he did he did such a good job with this. In such a stupid uniform. In a really stupid uniform. Um but uh then dun, 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 we see the fictional characters having a secret meeting. They don't understand why folks choose these fantasies. But they're going to keep investigating our heroes. So this is where we find out they're they're not who they say they are, mm-hmm. um, and so, appear to be this way. I, I'd have to go back and rewatch it, but at least upon first viewing, they appear to be antagonistic. Yeah, well, 
it is definitely framed that way. The dialogue is framed. It's it's definitely ambiguous now thinking back, right. but it but you make the assumption, you make the narrative leap that they must be bad right. guys. Which mostly because actually, of the previous scene with O'Brien and Rumpel. Well, yeah, Rumpel's Rumpel's clearly antagonistic. But okay. I think that very idea ties into the theme of the episode hmm. about we're speaking fears, to the nature yeah. of humanity about how our imaginations so frequently are disastrous or scary or ominous in some fashion, um, especially collectively. So in, I think a cool sort of what is this episode about? Right. Mm-hmm. And I think that's that's kind of interesting. So in act four, our heroes discuss uh, what happened last time there was a rupture like this, a subspace rupture. In uh, a casual conference room lounge that I don't think we've ever seen before, um, it's a uh, go back to the the one with the three of them. You can see they even have a they have a toy ship uh, that you can see a little bit there, and they've got just regular old office chairs. <laughs> rolling I think office I have like a, the wide up. shot here somewhat. Yes, I do. Hold on, it's after Dax here coming up. Oh yeah, yeah. And uh, we realize when it pulls back, this is actually Cisco's office. But we haven't seen it used as a conference room before. Quite what like I love that. here is this is just like 90s television, folks. Four by three aspect ratio. When you want to get everybody in the shot, you got to pull way back. We got to, you got to pull way back and like stack people in. Because mm-hmm. if if you look at what O'Brien and Bashir, they're like, okay, everybody sit in triangles <laughs> and uh, lean back so we can get you in the shot. That that just composing that shot probably took like you a can half count an hour the pixels. Of- you can literally also count in the, the in the in the future, like clearly no budget. I know I'm I'm, I'm good, but like I feel like we'd have invented like hover chairs by now, right? Like the wheelie office chair feels like we would have done better by now. That does feel anachronistic, uh, but I mean, yes, from a production standpoint, obviously, like that's a nightmare. From a uh, but in canon, right, feels like an awful waste of energy. You're right. And we know that energy is is still finite at that point. Yeah, we'd have so to like, like blow up a moon to get those chairs. Like it would literally be reinventing the wheelie chair. And I the wheelie chair is pretty good. I think we got it right. Yeah. <laughs> they're uh they're pretty lost about what to do, but O'Brien wants to use a pulse wave torpedo to seal the rupture. And they uh decide to uh give it a try and they have to evacuate the pylons before they do that. So like the the sticky arm parts. So they're uh when in doubt pulse wave blow it up. When in doubt obviously blow it up. I mean pew pew, let's do this. So uh on the promenade, Odo pushes his way through more emus and uh and including the Lesepian captain from last episode, um, who doesn't have a speaking role this time. It's interesting. But some it's, would it's say also- that in this episode, Keith, Odo is not emused. Well, he's not muting his feelings. No, I didn't. Uh, I think people very would like to we're very mute us right now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, so it's it's chaos. Then uh, we catch up with Kira doing the evacuation, and she imagines a giant explosion and a man on fire. Uh, Who's not actually- at all in a giant flame suit. It, not at all in a giant flame suit, but it's an impressive practical burn. Yeah. I really thought it had uh, some sort of plot implication, but I guess it does. 
It does. It, it's her imagination, Mike. Oh, there she is. Uh, yeah. It's not not bad effects for the time. No. Uh, especially with that budget. Luckily, she snaps out of it quickly. So, uh, but we're we're seeing that her your imaginations can be sort of dangerous, but then it disappears. I don't, you know, I don't know why. It's it's an odd thing because it's it's obviously cool and 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 visual, but how does she know? How does she stop it? Well, because it's not we just don't really that, see right? her like, like it, it's just it, it, it's just my imagination. Imagine something else. Just my like that would tell us how she stopped it. So Quark flags Odo down in the promenade, looking for his trollops, and they realize that uh, Odo hasn't imagined anything yet. Hmm. That's weird. Yeah. Uh, but then uh, you got to show us the trollops, Mike. Oh yeah. There they are. Uh, so then uh, Odo goes back to his office, and he realizes uh, he imagined Quark into the brig. That's Cute little funny. gag. Yeah. Yeah, there it is. Quark's Cute. pissed. He's pissed, but he knows exactly what's going on. Like, yeah. Quark, Quark is very quick on the draw here. Yeah, he knows. He deserves it. So uh, in Cisco's quarters, uh, Jake is doing homework when Buck Bakai comes in to try and get Jake to play with him. Jake says that Cisco will kill him if he went. And Buck's uh, like obsessed with it. That, that's his that's his his whole purpose in life is to play uh to play baseball, right? He's still wearing his outfit. Yeah, but he's but, like obsessed uh, with his dad killing him. Well, because I think you know, because they're trying to understand imagination and that kind of stuff. I think he thinks it's literal. Yeah, I think or the he, absurdity I, I, of it. Like, you really believe that? He would actually kill you? Yeah, yeah, I guess you're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah, because he's, he's yeah, yeah. like, oh, wait, your father would literally kill you if you if this happened? Like, because he doesn't know anything about these about this species. He doesn't know what's going on. So he beams in fake uh, fake Cisco to talk it out. Because um, he's really interested in getting to know more about their decision-making process. So, uh, yeah. I mean, that certainly would be uh, not inconceivable. Mm-hmm. So we hit the inconceivable, inconceivable. <laughs> so in ops, they see that the rift is expanding faster than expected. O'Brien is close to having his torpedoes ready, and they all stare at the subspace rift for a very long time. As the uh, oh no, it restarted. Oh no! Oh, you took too many. No, it's. Oh, I don't think that's it. I think I hit the wrong button. Let me see if I can hold on. <sighs> Streamline. Streamline. Edit this week. <laughs> We're doing so good. Oh, man. Oh, I can do it this way. This is cool. All right. We just talked to Buck Bakai. We're back in ops, right? That's what we're doing. Yeah, back in ops. Yeah. I'm delighted oh, by so you close. using the term ops. Just like casually just throwing out ops. We're making a trekkie out of you. All right. Let's clap. Okay. So in ops, they see that the rift is expanding faster than expected. And O'Brien is close to having his torpedoes ready. Then they all stare at the subspace rift for a very long time. 
Uh, but uh, which, if you go back and watch that shot, because and they're they're going to commercial, right? And so all they're all staring at it, but they just hang on it for such a long time, which didn't make any sense then. It makes sense later that they would hit that so hard, but it was very interesting to see that. It's like we're just staring. We have silence on screen for almost a good five or six seconds, which in TV time is a very, very long time. So in Act 5, they get the torpedoes ready and have the shields up. Pew, pew, into the rift. There's a lot of techno babble countdowns. And uh, uh uh-oh, it's backfiring. Boom, boom, sparks, flashy lights. So uh, lots of stuff goes down. Rumpel's just like cozy up there. Rumpel's like, I'm chill, whatever. Section 4 is heavily damaged. And we find out that, oh, there's there's our booms. Horny Dax is injured, and Bakai and Bashir rush to help her. They have no idea what's going on. They're pretty screwed, and Rumpelstiltskin offers to help. I he can points help. out that he uh, was created with magical powers. And, of course, he offers to help them in trade for Molly. Uh, that's... And, and before we... O'Brien, everybody gets kind of bailed out here. Because Cisco figures it out before they have to like make that decision, because it's actually. But he like, seems to be teetering too much. Well, I mean, it's like it, it's it's a it's a it's a bad and one. And in right? this particular because, screenshot, he's almost into it. He's like, well, I could be convinced. Like, the toddler's yeah, a lot know, of work. It's a but, it's a lot. Here, you here, know. Yeah, I'm putting another pin, Keith. Bing bing. Mm-hmm. Okay, you pin. could convince me, right? That. Um, you know, that O'Brien's fear that the Rumple would do this manifests this Sophie's choice. Mm-hmm. But, like, at what point do these beings have uh, agency over their own sort of thing? Like, I thought they had agency over the whole situation. So is he being, is he putting a test out there? Is he just yes. testing O'Brien, you think? I think I, I think that's, a, I think the whole thing is a test. So I I get the sense that they absolutely have agency over this whole thing. Okay. But that they are, uh, it's a test. It is. They're they're just kicking the tires and figure out how these people operate. So, thus setting up that choice. So, uh, I don't know. So, uh, eh, where am I? Oh, and that's when Cisco figures it out. Dax imagined the subspace rupture. It's all oh. imaginary. The whole thing, because she was reading about it and then imagined it, and then it kept escalating. They end the alert and drop the shields. And all the imaginary things wink out of existence. Now, of course, in this moment, they forget to tell the rest of the station to stop imagining things. Uh, as they, they probably should have, right? Because everybody... Yeah. But um, I guess the, 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 the ones that have malfeasance on the mind have been winked out. Well, I, I think the ones with agency, the ones that are not manifestations, but actual beings that are. Yes, that's right. That because playing, sexy Dax is still there. Well, not sexy. Right, right. And they're. Well, sexy time Bashir Dax. Sexy time Dax, yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, it sets up a final meeting between Cisco and Bakai. Wait, but let me just let me insert something because you mentioned yeah, like yeah. respect and stuff. What I do like about sexy time Dax is that. She's not all sexy time with Bashir. It's not about the sex. She's like, really, she has, she digs him. She's like dotes on him and stuff. And I think that that's what his fantasy is. It's not just a bone Dax. I think he has, he's, 
there are affections there, which no, I think I, is I, an no, important I, distinction. I think, I think you're right. I think I think he is in love with her, um, and that and yes, that is true. I mean, it doesn't uh, mean I he mean, can't canoodle. I mean, he want he wants to he wants to play hide the tricorder. Let's let's be honest, but uh, but yeah, uh, I think it is more than that. So uh, they uh, Cisco and Bakai go into the ready room, and Bakai explains that they're aliens trying to understand our heroes. This was all an experiment, and Cisco asks, "Why did they put the station in jeopardy?" But of course, it was themselves who imagined the danger. They debate the value and uniqueness of human imagination. Then Bakai tosses Cisco the famous baseball, and disappears. And that is, if wishes were horses. Uh, I think we can talk about that final scene in our episode wrap up, uh, which means, which means, Mike, are you ready? It is time for. I'm ready. Your first question. We're gonna go rapid fire today. Is subspace rift? And now it's time. Hey Keith, for that's Mike a that's a like a you know not in regular space quiz. but in subspace. There's like a rip in the time space continuum and some some uh, this is we put this in as uh, some bullshit's going on down there. I don't know how to adjudicate that because some <laughs> of that was wrong, but the concept was right. So uh, it's halfway in between your next question. Here's some I, I had to write all these down. Impulse sustainer. Well, you know, that's you know what that is. That's mm. in quarks. Uh that's in the hollow chamber, the hollow suite. Mm-hmm. They put on an impulse container so that you don't have to no, do too much sustainer. Scru- you don't have to, it's an impulse sustainer to keep you at a single level so they don't have to clean too much in between uses. <laughs> I would think an impulse sustainer would be like a little blue pill. You know <laughs> what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> uh, All right, next a pulse wave initiator. Pulse wave initiator. That's the mm-hmm. little button that says do not push unless you got a photon fire some some anti-beams into a beam hole. <laughs> subspace oscillation. Ah, well, yeah. See, the, here's the thing. In subspace, there's a bunch of waves that can do good things or bad things. So sometimes mm-hmm. when those waves are doing bad things, you got to shoot out the oscillator to make them wave a different wavelength so that the good things happen better than uh-huh. the bad things. Uh, yeah, sure. And lastly, mm-hmm. flux density readings. Yeah, 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 for sure. So the flux density is the thickness of that impulse beam, and sometimes you need to, you know, pump it up. Okay, well, we've all been fluxed. It is time to come along home to... Weird head just keeps going and going. It is time to discuss, once Mike is done fixing, were there any wormholes in the plot, Michael? We got away from the sci-fi here. Once again, I feel like the premise is really cool. I like the idea and everything, but like the the hows and the whys, the why gets the why gets answered for me. Uh why they're sort of they're investigating us. But like, is it because we came into their zone? 
or because they, or did they seek us out? I'm confused as to how uh, they, they got they, there. They explained that okay. um, that they they're from the the Gamma Quadrant, and they saw a ship come through, and they're like, "Hey, who are those guys?" They followed them back through the wormhole. So that's okay. how they ended up there. All right, I'll take it. Uh, then the the whole like, are they good or bad or what are the whole sort of the okay. All right, so I guess I can buy a lot of that. I can buy a lot of the beings and what they're what they're doing and why they're doing it. I guess I because that's the interesting stuff. Like the, mm-hmm. it's more the the other science stuff. The like, what are we doing? Like, what are we doing to help ourselves? And like, because it feels a little Deus Machina that we, Ben just figures it out at the last second. We're shooting these photons off. Everything is in vain. So I guess we. Oh, I guess there was nothing really to fix because we never were in danger. Is that what I'm hearing? I mean, I think it's a little bit open-ended, but I I do think based on what we learn about these aliens that they they don't seem malicious. I I don't think their intent was to blow everybody up. I think they were trying to investigate. So I don't think they would have let them, like, blow up their whole system. All right. I don't know. Talk to me about your wormholes. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you in terms of, like, you know, yes... We don't explain hardly really anything, anything about yeah. about these aliens or their powers and like the the distinction between the sort of cosplaying aliens and then like the sort of ephemeral powers that they have to make it snow and the emus and and that sort of a thing, um, you know. But because I I've been debating this, right? I think it doesn't matter. Right. I, I think that's not what it's about. Um, and uh, I, th- I think it's telling the story of being um, examined or investigated by a being either wildly more technologically advanced or more powerful or whatever. It's like uh, it's going to look like magic if they're ahead of you. Right. So like what, you know, if it's if it's people from our technology going into an indigenous tribe that's never come out or or like us looking like like an ant looks at us and we're like watching them and investigating them. They have absolutely no concept of how we're doing anything that we're doing or how that would even be possible. So I think it's I think we're just sort of like, okay, they're more powerful. They have these abilities that we don't understand. And we're just going to like set that aside and don't pull that thread because it's about this exploration of collective imagination. Okay, but then, so then we're to assume, and I wish we could have had a bigger scene with the beings in that, in the kind of, in their office, (laughs) their aside, because (laughs) we're to then, in your premise, Keith, they are this advanced civilization, this advanced being, but they have no imagination. They don't, everything is literal to them. They don't do imagination. I think so. Okay. All right. I mean, you know, because because imagination is something. I'm sure that you know there's a there's a biological benefit to it. You know that has evolved our sense of imagination. But if there, well, okay. If there so then let me that, try to bullet point out the different things that we're saying in the episode. Then let me see because mm-hmm. it, that is the other question that I kind of comes up. I'm like, the what are we really saying? So are we saying that because in, in one hand, I, I liked the conversation that Dax has with, Jadzia Dax has with uh, Bashir, where she's like, 
you know, you're the one who's being we, your imagination. Some these things should stay in your head, and they don't need. Right. They shouldn't be explored by other people, by outside forces. If they're if you don't offer them, right? Which right. is kind of a unique to what we, ends up happening in the episode. But then we also have the sort of nature of fear and mm-hmm. imagined fear, and how that can be sort of. Uh, detrimental to your safety, even if it's not real, if it's not manifested, mm-hmm. and how we can manifest it, that's sort of thrown out yeah, there. And definitely. then additionally, I guess the baseball one is how we use it to, I don't know, explain, that one is a little bit more muddy, the baseball thing. Well, I think I think the... Yeah. What? Yeah. What is the? I mean, I I think the I think Buck Bakai is our door in. I think that's our that's our lead alien that we're able to see. I I think it's less about what is the purpose of them imagining the baseball player than it is that looking the other direction. Mm-hmm. You know, Bakai is looking at their decision making process, and you know, but but there there is like where are your values? Right mm-hmm. with with the sports and entertainment and 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 speeding up, um, and people not having time for baseball. Yeah, and I I I think it's sort of there's there's different layers of danger in these imaginations. Some of it's perfectly harmless, like the like the baseball player. Some of it is sort of libido based, and some of it is more nefarious and some of, and you know, like what is the, per- and with, and with Rumpelstiltskin, right? What is the, what is the purpose of these fairy tales that we tell our kids fostering their imagination for like doom? Um, yeah. I find, I find that like a question of, okay, so that's, so there aren't a ton of wormholes. It's just sort of a lot of techno Bible that we don't really explain. I guess that's where we're kind of settling on the wormholes. Yeah. And you know, and all the techno Bible fighting the subspace rift, it, you know, like, Obviously, it doesn't matter. Right? And the Kira scene, I would about. say the Kira scene was like, we need to get her in a scene. That that, that yeah. one was a little wonky. It, that that one was the most... Well, I mean, I, I think that goes under the category of the environmental ephemeral stuff like the emus mm-hmm. in the snow, where it there was obviously not like one of these aliens playing the part of the fireball. I think that was just her imagining... That was, it's almost like that was the more subconscious imagination manifesting itself as opposed to the very specific conscious stuff. Um, well, I think this but, is like, so what the, the, our kind of waffling and the reason, the way, because it's not concrete, it is more a dis, is a decision, right? When you, when you decide not to focus on one of the things, like one of the specific fears, you kind of create a muddy sort of, well, it's all of these things and none of these things kind of situation. One of the things that kind of got, I got caught up in, and I think it was a trap the writers sort of set for themselves, is that because they open with the Buck Bakai thing, mm-hmm. and, and and in this universe, there's already a pre-established way to manifest your fantasies, the mm-hmm. Hollow Suite, right? Right. And so since they introduced that, it muddied for me for like seventy five percent of the episode. I'm thinking, oh, how is it that the holod the holodeck came That's alive? The holodeck thing, yeah. Even though they gave us. The Rumpelstiltskin thing. They gave us the 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 Dax and Bashir thing. I was still caught up in the oh, it's the holodeck somehow. Something created a way to make the holodecks real, uh, which I mm-hmm. guess is partially on me. But it's just you know they had to battle against that because 
the holodeck is sort of these beings, but it's not sentient, really. Yeah. Yeah. No, I get that. I mean, I I think there is an inherent muddiness to all of this. Um, I don't know. Like, I, I always feel... But this- also, not to mention... Sorry, let me add my last yeah. thing. You know, Data is... His whole character sort of dealt with the Turing test and sentience mm-hmm. and all that. That was sort of that. But Ben does bring up in sort of a passing scene, like, are... On the holodeck, are we creating like sl- slave people in a hell? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, isn't that what gets... Buck is kind of like wrestling with? Well, there is there's a Westworldy element to the holodeck for sure, and um, we're gonna get into that. Some of it in the series, and Voyager gets really far into that, um, into that debate, and it's it's very interesting, and and. Uh, yeah, it really does open up a can of worms there, but it's an interesting can of worms to get into. Um, yeah, so let's let's do our best moment and then let's yep, keep yep, talking yep. about it. Mike, what was your favorite moment in this episode? You know, I don't know. I kind of liked. I liked a lot of it. I really. I liked a lot of the, I got to say it. I really liked Rumple. I liked a lot of the stuff Rump was doing. He was like, what? It could have been just like him being mischievous, but he wanted to help and he was really inquisitive. I just thought it was like a great performance that could yeah. have been such a sort of a joke. He could have played it much more comedically or jokey, but no. He, yeah, Michael he really, J. Anderson. He's a good actor. He really found the like the 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 I want of the character. And like when you, I would love to go back and rewatch it now, knowing the sort of who they were, because I have a suspicion he he played that through line really well. I liked all the Rumple stuff. Um, yeah, that's I'm gonna just I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna open and close with Rumple. Yeah, and I and for me, and I know that you didn't, you, I don't think you were as on board, but I really liked the the real Dax Horny Dax interaction mm-hmm. and, with Bashir there. And I I really liked, um, I liked Dax's. It, we just we literally just talked about it, about the privacy of his own fantasies and her ability, her sort of like maturity and understanding and empathy there, you know. And of course, the dynamics of having been a man before that uh, she's in a position to like, yeah, no, totally get it. And and yet also. Adding the layer on top of that of like, yeah, but like, you really want me to be like the dum-dum? And I I thought it was a really, I thought that scene was really well written and really well, really well performed. So um, that was, that was my favorite moment. So uh, now let's give out some uh, self-sealing stem bolts. What do you say, Mike, now that we know what they are? Yes, let's do that. Uh, you know. It's interesting because this is a, the flip of an episode. You know, I, there was a couple that I had watched, and I sort of was digging, and then we talked about it, and I was like, yeah, you know what? That wasn't as good as I had kind of thought on on first blush. This one's the opposite. You know, I liked mm. it when I first watched it mere hours ago, but <laughs> I felt a little – it felt a little tropey, and I was sort of left a little cold at the end because I'm thinking there was no there – there was no actual – like journey there was no like danger 
There was mm-hmm. no and then when you find out that all the danger was sort of like never existed anyway, and that they were sort of and, and Ben sort of sums it up great at the end where he's like, Why didn't we just like why didn't you just like ask the questions? Why did we have to go through this whole simulation of danger? And he it doesn't really get a satisfying answer, I don't think, to that question. Uh, he Rumpel should have just been like, or I'm sorry, Buck should have been like, well, TV, man. We had to fill 47 minutes. <laughs> um, but, you know, you actually have highlighted some, some like, it's actually pretty deep and philosophical. And it's not about the, the, the only thing that the danger meant anyway was that we can manifest it where it doesn't exist, right? Yeah. In fact, it reminds me of this amazing TikTok I saw last night. Somebody sent me. Uh, and I'm sorry, my phone is the camera right now, so I can't look up the creator. So if anybody has seen this TikTok, it's not mine. Feel free to comment below with who created it. But it's this person who, uh, it's this neuroscientist who is who was forwarding another person's video and being like, this is exactly correct. And the song went like this. It was just a person singing a little song, and it goes like this. Uh, sorry if I'm not quoting it perfectly. Uh, just because you think it doesn't mean that it's true. Your mind's a little bitch that likes to lie to you. And I was like, yeah, that's, yeah, that was last night I saw that. And that's pretty much this episode and pretty much explains the human condition, which is what I guess why these guys are so confused about us. Um, and this, this episode asks a lot of questions and doesn't give a lot of answers. And that's okay sometimes. Sometimes it's about thinking about it and putting it in and manifesting it, if you will, into situations and, and Bashir realizing, even he, though he had been friend zoned, doesn't mean that. I don't know. It, it brought up a lot of questions that I would love to. I might have to watch it again. Is what I'm saying. Uh, so anyway, did I like it? Yes, I did like it. Um, this feels like a solid. I don't know that it like blew me away. The techno babble, babble did bother me. It does bother me. I'm gonna have to get used to it, aren't I, Keith? I'm gonna have to start to you just are. eat my vegetables. Yeah. 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 Uh, but I thought all the characters played well and nobody played it as shtick. I felt like it was all pretty good. Even like uh, like Kiko seemed pretty pretty afraid and she was for her a couple lines. Keiko, yes. Keiko, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. She's lucky I got it even close. I forget I, I'm everybody's amazed. names. I'm yeah. amazed. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to give it 77.77 with a little bar above it. Self-sealing stem bolts. Yeah, I, I I think that's I think that's that's reasonable. I this is an episode. It's it's a little bit of a guilty pleasure of mine. Like this is I I I find this episode fun. I I, I think yeah. that there's um you know all of the you know silliness with the emo emo emu and the uh, and the snow and the double decks and and. In Rumpelstiltskin, it's all sort of silly and fun, and feels light, and um, you know, there's a there's a lot happening. There's a lot to look at, um, but there's also a, like you said, there's sort of there's sort of hidden depth here, which I, I, I think it all could have been done a little bit better, but the concept that we're grappling with and i and i think the the bigger piece of this is the collective fears the collective mm-hmm. anxieties manifesting themselves represented by the subspace rift right because each of the, you know people imagine lots of different things but individually none of them were 
nearly as destructive or as terrifying as the collective imagination. And I think that that is really does speak to us, right? Because if you think about it, especially this day and age, right? You know, one person is not that dangerous. Well, guns aside, but 10,000 people behave. It's sort of mob mentality, crowd mentality. You see, you know, our entire country is being basically torn apart by imagined anxieties, Mm -hmm. right? By, by, Things that aren't even true at all, but it, they represent people's fears, and that has such power and such destructive power. And we are right in the throes. We have our own subspace rift happening right now in this country, and it's happened over and over and over through time. So there, I, I think that there is. I don't even know if they meant all of that in this, but I do think that there. Yeah, is I was gonna. I was gonna push back there. a little bit, only that I, I love that oratorio you just gave uh quite adore it but i don't know that that feels a little like you that was like a term paper you had to write about this episode <laughs> and you like really went for it because <laughs> i'm not sure all that was on screen but like i i i i i i feel you uh, you know yes i don't know if they thought about that quite so intentionally but i think it but i think it is there though okay be, because the this subspace rift that was going to it wasn't just one person's fear, right? So Dax thought about it the first time. Then O'Brien added to it, and then so there's a lot of people adding the yeah, the Kira final had a version, guy on fire. Yeah, yeah. The, the final version of that like universe eating thing manifested from multiple characters imaginations. It grew and built on top of itself. It layered as opposed to Rumpelstiltskin, which was just Mm. O'Brien's. So I think that's sort of where I'm getting that idea of the collective anxiety, the collective imagination being more dangerous than the individuals. Um, So, uh, yeah. So, you know, is it, is this one of the great episodes of Deep Space Nine? Of course not. But I find it very rewatchable. Um, it's it's one of those ones like, oh, yeah, okay, if I'm doing a rewatch or whatever, and sometimes it's like, oh, okay, this one, I'm like, oh, this one's fun. So, um, But give me yes. an episode where they are bad guys and are using our fears against us. Give me that episode, too. Yeah, well, that would be, well, if they were this powerful, it wouldn't yeah. need to just, just wipe us out of existence. But um, the the theme of a higher, higher, not in the moral sense, but like a more powerful species uh, observing and uh, investigating another species is something that is happens in Star Trek constantly, right? It's, it's on, on Next Gen, we'll, you know, we have this, uh, it's a great episode where we have uh, Federation observers on a less advanced culture, so, so less advanced, they can't make first contact, so they're they're fairly primitive and they're just observing and watching the culture develop. Something goes wrong and of course they get caught and then they have to sort of hide the fact that they're there and like cover it up, i.e. like the other side of like their aliens abducting folks here. And then you have another, other episodes where like Picard gets abducted and thrown into an experiment. So this this theme happens a lot in Star Trek and, and we're have been on either side of it. Because, um, it, which makes sense, 
because mm-hmm. in in this giant universe, you're going to have all sorts of cultures and species and planets at different levels of development, with different levels of power, with different abilities. Um, so this this feels like you know a very standard somebody's investigating us <laughs> kind of uh, kind of episode. Um, yeah. Anyway, okay. I'm gonna give it. Uh, Okay, if I get progress, 84. I'm going to give it uh, 81 self-sealing stem bolts. An enjoyable episode. I yeah, thought it was fun. Sure. Absolutely. All right. Well, next week, we are doing The Forsaken. So uh, we'll see. We'll see what happens there. But uh, yeah, before you do, I'm going to, we'll see you back next week. But uh, give us a like, give us a subscribe. Join our Patreon at patreon.com slash K&M. Thank you very much for watching or listening or however you are consuming the nonsense that we do. Uh, We really appreciate it. I mean, obviously, we'd like to have folks support the show. and We have a million people watching, whatever. The fact is we really enjoy doing it. So uh, thank you for sharing that with us. So uh, we'll see you next week with The Forsaken. Till then, this has been Keith and Mike watch Deep Space Nine. Thank you for watching KM Entertainment. If you enjoyed our particular brand of nonsense, please like and subscribe. Or become one of our patrons at patreon.com slash KM. <laughs>